0: Welcome to the weekly message from Rhema Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at media. Today I'll be sharing on what the Word of God says about relationships. A teacher once asked a class, Or rather he explained to the class what it means to honour your father and mother. And then he asked the class if there was any commandment in relation to a relationship between a brother and sister. And the response he got was, you shall not kill. I don't know about you, but I must be honest in saying that at times in some of my relationships I felt like I could strangle somebody. And I'm sure that a number of people have felt that way about me. From the time that we are born, we are all in multiple relationships. Child parent relationships, siblings, friends, relatives, colleagues, uh, husband, wife, and so on. Now, God created man because he wanted a relationship with man. In fact, he wanted a close relationship with man. You see that in Genesis 3 and verse 8, It says that god came down to the garden of eden in the cool of the day and he called out to adam but when adam sinned that relationship was broken because god is a holy god he's a righteous god and adam became a sinful man but god loved man so much that he sent his son jesus christ to pay the penalty for our sins and To reconcile our relationship with God you see through baptism we are united with Christ in the likeness of his death and we are resurrected in his likeness and made to become sons and children of God you see Jesus paid the price for us once and for all and then he made us righteous so that now we can have a relationship with God Jesus didn't come just merely so that he can give us a get-out-of-hell card. No, he came so that we could have a relationship with God, and now, as a father as well, so we have a father-son relationship with God. Now, in Matthew 22 and 36, Jesus was asked a question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first commandment, and the foremost commandment. And he said the second commandment is like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets, which is virtually the whole Bible. You see, we, in order to love someone, you need to have a relationship with that person. Only through a relationship can you really get to know the person, what the person is like, and love some of the qualities, or love the person for who he or she is. And this is true about our relationship with God and also with one another. Let us look at five types of relationships in the Bible. The first relationship is the relationship between God and us. Now, the relationship between God and us is a relationship of a covenant of love. And from his love flows his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, and much more. Romans 5 eight tells us that God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were yet sinners. Now, that is covenant love. Our part of the covenant is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior by faith and to love one another and to love God. In order to develop a relationship with Jesus and with God, what we need to do is we need to spend time with God in his word, meditating upon his word, doing his word, speaking to him in prayer, taking time alone with him to listen to him because the Bible tells us in James 4, 8, that if we draw closer to God, then he will draw closer to us. The second relationship is between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. In the book of Ruth, we find that Naomi, together with her husband Elimelech, and her two sons left Israel at a time of severe famine, and they went over to Moab. Now, both her sons married Moabite women, and subsequently, her husband and both her sons died. So what Naomi said to both her daughters-in-law is, go back to your Moabite families because now I'm going to go back to Israel. But Ruth, in Ruth 1, verses 16 to 17, refused to go back. She told Naomi, please don't ask me to go back. Where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And so she went back with Naomi and she gathered enough for herself and, from, and for Naomi from the leftovers as the harvesters were harvesting the fields. And in doing so, she found favor with a very rich farmer, Boaz. And she married Boaz and had a son. Now this, in a sense, gave me back a family again, but much more than that, Ruth's son went on to become the grandfather of King David. Now, this shows us the value of loyalty, of love, and an unselfish act. This also demonstrates to us the closes of relationships, knowing that you can depend on someone when you're in a time of need. The third kind of relationship we're going to look at is a relationship between two siblings. Now, the partnership of Moses and Aaron is probably one of the greatest examples of two siblings coming together to do something really great. You see, Moses was a great leader, but he feared to speak in public. When God asked him to go and speak to Pharaoh, he cringed. So God chose Aaron, his brother, to speak, to be his spokesperson. Now, Aaron spoke for Moses, and much more than that, he supported Moses in every way that Moses needed. As a result of that, both Moses and Aaron accomplished one of the greatest rescues in all of history, all because two siblings were prepared to come together to be in a relationship to fulfill the will of God. The next relationship we're going to look at is between two friends. Of all the friendships in the Bible, the friendship of Jonathan and David stand out the most. Now 1 Samuel 18.1 1, describes this relationship as the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Now, this is the essence of all relationships. You'll find that David and Jonathan are a great example of close, lifelong relationships. You know, God created men and women to have close, lifelong relationships. To strive for anything less is to really miss out on something truly wonderful. The next we're going to look at is the relationship between two people in ministry. Elijah was a great prophet. He's the one who called down fire from heaven to to defeat the prophets of Baal. Now, God chose Elijah Elijah as a servant or an assistant to Elijah. Elijah took his calling very seriously, and he hung on tenaciously Elijah. And it tells us in 2 Kings 2 that Elijah told Elijah, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. You see, he was so devoted to Elijah that he wanted to get as much as he could from Elijah. And as a result of that, he literally and metaphorically picked up the mantle Elijah, and he went on to become a notable prophet and a great man of God. In conclusion, God loves us deeply, and he is after our love. Now, God made us for a relationship with him. He made us so that we would be known by him and that we could know him. And that is why he made man first. He made one man first so that he could have a relationship with that man, and that man could have a relationship with him. And then he created a companion for man so that man could have a relationship with mankind, with his his companions. You see, man has been created to have two levels of relationship, one with God and one with one another. Now, all of creation and all of redemption emphasize these two relationships. Firstly, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And secondly, to love one another as yourself. Now, if we take the time daily to spend time with God and maintain it daily, then out of that growing intimacy... We cannot help but fall in love with God, love Him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And out of that relationship that we have with God will flow God's love through us into all our relationships with one another, and we will be able to love others as God wants us to.
1: That was a hard act to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about relationships today, and I'm going to ask you or tell you why relationships are crucial. You know, they say that the church would be perfect if there were no people. But Jesus didn't die for a building. He died for people. And amazingly, in Genesis chapter 1, God says that he made us in his image. Look very secretly at the people around you and ask yourself, is she serious? Yes. We were made in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? For years, I've meditated on what it means to be made in the image of God. And... There are many aspects of that, but I'm going to focus on uh, this one aspect. That God is relational, God is social, and God is community-minded. Look at the Trinity. They exist, three different persons exist in love and harmony. And that is our great example, that we were made in the image of God. And you know, Romans 5 says, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Someone has done some interesting research into social relationships and social connections and has discovered that we live 50% longer when we have social connections and social relationships, and this even starts when we are young, because when we are young uh, and we don't and we and we have uh, um, a, uh, we have loneliness, lack of social connection, it can impact on how long we live. Someone said, "We live like fish who don't notice the water." Because there are people all around us that we could have relations with or relationships with, but we don't see them. There are physical and psychological benefits to our physical health from being in relationship. So this lady studied 148 people for seven and a half years, and she concluded that we need social relationships we it is essential to our well-being some of you might say i'm on social media i'm on facebook and i'm on the internet but these are not face to face relationships heart to heart relationships they lack emotional content and depth and these do not qualify as social relationships, social connections that are real and authentic. This researcher went to two places in the world. One was Ikaria in Greece, and the other was Sardinia in Italy, where people have lived healthier and happier lives. And she met a 104 year old man. And this man cycles 15 kilometers a day to visit people. He also writes poetry, acts in the local theater productions, shops in the market where I'm sure he knows everybody, and is so active in the community, you would not believe he was 104 years old. So research has found that being lonely is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, being alcoholic, not exercising, and it is twice as harmful as, obes- or obesity, as obesity. So let's look at the Bible and see what relationships there are there. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus traveled with 12 men who were his closest companions, and some women also. Luke 8 tells us that there were a group of women who traveled with Jesus and and supported him out of their finances. So Jesus was no lone ranger. And even better, in terms of the information we have about relationships, is Paul. Paul. Paul was a great apostle, but he had many, many friends. He traveled with them, he stayed with them, he visited them, he worked alongside them, he preached alongside them, he was beaten with them, he sang in prison with them, he encouraged them and was encouraged by them. He even disagreed with them and then became reconciled with them. And this is with Mark, Barnabas, and Silas in Acts chapter 15. Paul also inquired after his friends with gratitude and affection. He mentions Barnabas, Lydia, Silas, Onesiphorus, Luke, Epaphroditus, Priscilla, Aquila, John, Mark, and the Ephesian elders in his letters. In Romans 16, Paul mentions more than 13 names with of all status in life, male and female. And he honors them and their work for the Lord. This was a sign of Paul's maturity as a minister. Even a mighty apostle needed friends. Why is friendship so important? It gives you companionship. Adam was alone in the Garden of Eden. Now, you could say, oh, Adam, you had plenty of time to have quiet time with the Lord. Isn't that right? But even in paradise, you cannot be alone. God said it is not good that man should be alone. He called all the animals to Adam, and Adam named the animals But there was found no companion or helpmeet that was suitable for Adam. And God had to create a woman of his bone and of his flesh to be his helpmeet. So even in paradise, Adam needed a companion. Friends are also comfort. Titus comforted Paul when Paul was afflicted. Friends give you joy. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans 15 and said, I long to come and see you, to see you face to face and to be refreshed by your company. So you see that friendships are essential even to the Bible Bible characters. The body of Christ is made up of like-minded people. We are all believers in Jesus Christ and we all want to follow and obey his word. Our foundation is the same. Our allegiance is the same. Our values are the same. This is a good place to find friends. And this is a good place to find uh, companions to go out for lunch with, to invite to your home. You know, the Bible talks about hospitality as the love of a stranger or an alien. Jesus told us to love our neighbor. I think every one of us here qualifies as the other's neighbor. And this is very interesting that our society is existentialist. We focus on the individual rather than the community or the society. When we go jogging, we wear headphones so we don't have to talk to anybody. We stare at our screens, even in social company. And we have built houses with no porches, Or we patios at the back and we screen out our neighbors so we don't have to talk to them. But in the New Testament, the picture of the church is collective. A vine with many branches in John 15, a body with many members and each member has a purpose and a function. In Revelation 7 and 9, heaven is described as being of a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. That is God's will for the church. Recently, I did some research into migrants joining Pentecostal churches, and I discovered three factors that were very important. They said to me through interviews that they wanted three things. They wanted friends in the church. They wanted those friends to be not just in the church, but the same friends to be outside the church and outside the service. And thirdly, they wanted those friends to be hospitable and welcoming As the Bible calls hospitality. You know, we've all heard of the redwoods of California, but what we didn't realize is that the highest, uh, the tallest redwood is 379 feet high. They are all more than 2,000 years old, but they have very shallow roots, very tall with very shallow roots. How do they sustain themselves? Each redwood tree extends its roots a hundred feet out in every direction, finds another redwood tree and entangles its roots with it so that the whole forest is entangled and held up together. What a picture of the church. Isn't that beautiful that God created the redwood tree of California to be an illustration to us of what the church should be like? So in concluding, I would say to you, find friends right here. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. And faithful are the wounds of a true friend. Thank you.
2: Isn't she a sweetheart? (laughs) She's beautiful inside and out. Thank you, Paul and Jasmine. Well, good morning. Aren't you grateful that the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path? So I'm going to get you to just uh, stand up, if you can. Have a little stretch. And we're going to lift our hands and I'd like you to say after me, Father, I'm ready to receive. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, that was an act of faith. We know that faith isn't just about talking. It's about walking. And so we're here this morning to hear from the Holy Spirit. So my topic as we're looking at relationships is relationship challenges or challenging relationships. Anybody ever had any of those? Are you brave enough to put your hand up? Or is it only me? (laughs) Because relationship challenges can happen anywhere and everywhere where people and relationships occur. They can happen at school. They can happen at work. They can happen amongst your family and your relatives and your friends. And here's a big surprise. They can even happen at church. <laughs> Shock, horror. <laughs> but they, they do happen. And uh, I had a situation many, many years ago in my work environment where there was one particular lady that made my everyday work life pretty miserable. And long story short, basically, she was a bully. She was just a bully. And uh, finally, when I resigned from that particular job, and not because of her, but I felt it was time to move on, she takes me aside and she says to me, ''Do you want to know why I hate you?'' And I'm thinking, not particularly, <laughs> but if it helps you, sure. <laughs> I didn't say that, of course. <laughs> but um, she says to me, you're too nice. No one is that nice. And I thought to myself, you know, obviously it was the fruit of the spirit and the love of God evidenced in my life that was, um, you know, like irritating her Because really, Jeff will be the first to tell you, and I'll be the, well, I'll be the first, he'll be the second to tell you that I'm not that nice outside of Christ. (laughs) I thought you were going to jump up and go, yay, hallelujah. (laughs) Good boy, Jeff. (laughs) We're on the same team, yay. (laughs) So that instance was one of those where we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places, And there are times when people don't even know why they are ticked off at you, why they're irritated, why you niggle them and get under their skin. But what they're actually reacting to is God in us. And so it's important that we understand that. So what do we do? What do we do when, you know, these things happen? Because there's a whole number of things that can cause this. It can be offence. It can be money, it can be misunderstanding, it can be unforgiveness. There's a whole host of reasons why tensions and conflicts occur. So what do we do? What do we do? How are we to respond? And how are we to handle these situations in a God-glorifying way? That's very important. In a God-glorifying way that maintains our witness to one another and to the world but also keeps our spiritual integrity intact. So aren't you thankful for the treasure chest of God's word? Remember at the very beginning I said his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. His word is wisdom. This is is where the gold is, so we're going to dig in. Okay, my key verse, and I don't want it to go up just yet because I want you to hear it before you see it, but my key verse for this morning is found in Romans 12, 18. And it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you or as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, when I read that, I was like, hold the phone. Hang on a minute. We're people of faith around here. We walk by faith and not by sight. So what is, it, what, is what is? this if it is possible? I mean, we sing the songs, you know, all things are possible, Right. We get into it. Our life and our world might be falling apart, but here we are, all things are possible. <laughs> Praise God, and they are. So why is the word saying, if it is possible? So the key is actually found in the very next part of that verse where it says, as much as it depends on you. We've got to each take personal responsibility. Romans twelve fourteen says, so then... So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So you mean to say that I can't point fingers at all the people that have caused offence, the people that have hurt me, the injustices that I've had to endure, I can't point them out and go, but what about you and what about them and what about this and what about what happened then? Can't play the blame game. I'm just going to tell you a very quick testimony in a nutshell. There's a whole story around my relationship with my father and I don't have time to get into that. But basically what had happened was I had to actually um, like just compartmentalise that relationship, completely separate myself from that relationship and I hid it and I tucked it away in the back of my mind, in the back of my life and I just thought, you know, I'm I'm protecting myself. Just can't deal. Got to a point where he was actually sending um, Jeff and myself curses, like satanic curses. Um, and and so I just went into I've got a cope mode and just tucked it away and said, I'm not dealing with it. Um, and that was my way of coping. But there came a point and there came a time where the Lord said, I want to deal with that, and I want to deal with you in that. And so I responded to the Lord because for many years I was not able to do that. I was not even able to address it. I wasn't ready to. I wasn't willing to. And so when that time came and I knew that the Lord was drawing um, that and working in that in my life and I wanted to be obedient, so I came before the Lord in a place of prayer and I just was talking to him and just saying, "Okay, Father, yep, I'm ready. Let's do it. And the Lord said the most surprising thing to me. He said, Nina... I want you to go and ask your father for forgiveness. I was indignant because I was like, well, Lord, you know, this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened and he said this and he did this. And I had my whole checklist. So, so much for love keeps no record of wrongs, for starters, because I had my checklist of offences. And then the Lord goes, well, you know, when you're quite done, when you're quite done, And I was ready to listen to him. He said to me, Nina, but you were the Christian. You were the Christ one. And all of a sudden, I had a light bulb moment that he was speaking to me about my responsibility. My responsibility. I had to own it. So, what are our responsibilities as believers in challenging relationship situations? Two quick things. Firstly, We must walk in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is talking about desire, craving and carnality. It's not purely um, a sexual um, context of that at all. And so we've got to walk in the spirit because this is the game changer. If we want godly outcomes, we must have godly responses. And the wonderful thing is that we don't have to come up with the goods on our own. He has made his Holy Spirit, his wisdom, his grace, his help, and his living word available to us. Because when we're born again, it's no longer we that live, but it is Christ that is living within us. He's enabling us and empowering us. And so we're to die daily through these very types of challenges and allow him and his glory to, to be the most important thing. It's shifting the focus from me, my rights, to he. What brings him honour and praise and glory? Not my will, but his will. Many years ago there was a song, some of you might remember it, and I won't sing it, you'll be grateful I don't, but the words were, what about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough and I want my share, can't you see? I want to live! but you just take more than you give. Haven't we all felt like that at some point? That's why that song resonated with people because it echoes that something within us. But as I reflect on the words of that song, it's often occurred to me that Jesus is the only person, the only person that ever lived on this earth that was actually or had the right, would have had the right to say those words, to sing those words. But the Bible says that he poured out his life as a ransom for many in Matthew 28. So are we willing to follow his example when conflicts arise? Are we willing? Are we willing to consciously prioritise his glory, his glory over our own sense of entitlement and justice? And that's something that we each have to answer for ourselves. Secondly, we must walk in love. John 13 34, Jesus says, A new commandment. Just notice it's not a suggestion, it's not an alternative or an option. It's a commandment. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And it's very, very important that we understand love is not a feeling, it is not a feeling, it's a choice. Yes, love does involve feelings, absolutely. That's one of the great blessings and privileges that God has given to us, that we do get to enjoy the lovely, warm, fuzzy feelings that love can bring. But those warm, fuzzy feelings are not what love actually is. And if we're ever in doubt, we're always to look at how Jesus conducted himself and we're never ever to try to pattern him on who we are and how we respond. Never. But we always yield to his example. Because I'll tell you right now, it was not warm, fuzzy feelings that compelled Jesus to the cross for humanity. It was not warm, fuzzy feelings that kept him there while he was being spat on and ridiculed. And it was not warm, fuzzy feelings that caused him to say in the most agonising moment of pain and rejection and abuse that any one of us could ever comprehend that he wasn't feeling warm and fuzzy when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's real love. That right there is real love. And so if we're not sure how to behave or to respond in certain circumstances, the beautiful love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through to 7 It spells it out explicitly to us. Now I don't have time to go through those verses but after we finish reading the first three verses that tells us very clearly that our own efforts, that all our own efforts are completely worthless if they do not contain the genuine and authentic love of God. It goes on to break down for us precisely what the love of God looks like and how it behaves in every single situation. So remember, our feelings don't always cooperate, but our feelings cannot be, cannot be what govern us. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage you today to grab that piece of scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 regarding love and to study it, to soak in it, to yield to it, and especially if you're experiencing any kind of relationship challenges. Because remember, we take responsibility for ourselves. We do not pull out a measuring tape on everybody else. And, you know, that can happen in close relationships. I did this. I do more. I give more. No, that's not what we do. We take responsibility for ourselves. And so how people treat us is not a reflection of us and our value. It's actually a reflection of them. And again, Jesus was the perfect model for this. He placed value on everyone, right down to those that crucified him. He died as much for the Roman soldier who put the nails in his hands and his feet as he did for the thieves and his beloved disciples. So we are never to put our expectations and demands on people for what only God can give us. Did you hear me? We're never to put our expectations and our demands on people ...for what only God can give us. So my darling husband is going to come and share more about that with you this morning. God bless you.
3: Thank you, Nina. And after listening to Jasmine, I'm glad I'm not lonely as well. So that would be even harder. One thing I want to say is Nina does a whole lot better on relationships than I do... Um, it's always been a priority and where she's come from and her family has added to that. Um, even, even when I'm on the door of church, I get handshakes, she gets hugs. <laughs> it's always been important. She owns a social calendar. Even when we had young daughters and I'd take them out for uh, their dates one-on-one, she'd also come back to remind me, said, I need a date too, it's my turn as well. As our kids became adults, it was Nina that said, need to ensure we stay connected because soon it'll be just the two of us. So she really knows how to do a relationship. What I want to share about is expectations and expectations in relationships because I, I believe it can make or break any relationship. We all have expectations, parent, child, husband, wife, friendships, we have expectations in those relationships and some of those are formed by how we grew up, what we saw our parents do, what we saw happening around us, how relationships form and dissolve. As we came to church today, I hope we came with expectation, expectation to meet with God, to enter in and worship him. But I'm sure we also came with expectations of friendship and greeting in a work sense, as you know I'm in sales, I remember going to a very early um, training in sales and they, they basically came up and put up this acronym which is going to go up on the screen. It says this is what you need to know and I'm looking at it, what's a WIFM and it's what is in it for me and as you approach people in a sales sense, you need to find out what's driving them. You need to find the approach really is very much out there. As a leader, you're looking at your people and say, well, what's in it for them to help me be successful? Some leaders, as soon as you're not helping, they're with them. Drop you like a hot potato, particularly in a work sense. The problem occurs because you're focusing just on yourself. And with them in a relationships can absolutely break it apart. Even in church. I went to church today. I didn't get anything out of it. What was in it for me today? I didn't enter into worship, and worship was fantastic today because the music just wasn't right for me. You see it in a child's relationship. They're not my friends anymore because... something. If you want friends, you need to be friendly. Expectations in a relationship can be positive or negative. A study by Vanner and O'Sullivan in 2017 said, unmet ideal expectations were shown to directly predict lower levels of relationship satisfaction and indirectly predict commitment. So where does that leave us? Because I tell you what, the WIFM, what's in it for me, is not a great model for relationship. We've already read Romans 5.8. I'll put it up again. Let's consider Christ. But God shows his love for us. And that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But God. The first point is he moved. While we're still sinners... While we're still in that reprobate state, he moved. Relations about us moving towards someone else without conditions, without expectations, it's not waiting for them. It's often talked about a point system. You know, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. Even in a marriage relationship, bring some flowers and you might get to watch some football later that night. It's... It works... No, 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 I saw that. (laughs) Where do I go from there? (laughs) What about on the bad side? When they did the wrong thing? They need to move first. I'll forgive them when they ask for forgiveness. That's not God's way. God says, but God, while they were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 13, that Nina mentioned before, it does, love does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. So often we say we love each other, but as soon as someone gets angry, it all comes out. The long list of past sins and past infractions adds to the weight. You want to know how to make a mountain out of a molehill? Add more dirt. (laughs) The focus of love is not one's own pain, but the needs of the loved one. What's in it for me is not a great way to think about relationships.
0: Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this
3: ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at rhema.org.au.
2: If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics,
0: or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at raymond.org.au.